Good morning, church. Good morning. It is lovely to be here. If you see me falling over this way, it's because I've gone completely deaf this morning in this ear. So if I fall over, I probably just lost my balance. Don't worry. Um, it's very, very strange, especially when you're listening to music and you know that there's music full in the room, but you're only hearing the one half of it. It's very odd. Uh, but that's okay. I am uh, delighted to be here this morning. I'm delighted to be sharing this morning. Uh, for those that don't know me, I am Matt. I call CFM my home. Uh, I'm delighted to call CFM my home. And um, yeah, I'm just delighted to be here sharing with you this morning. Um, Ian mentioned last week that we are kind of in between teaching series at the moment. And so I've been given a free run at, uh, at what I want to speak on. So for those that know me, will not be surprised. I thought this morning, let's talk about some football. I think I want to I wanna run through some practical analysis, some tactical technician stuff, and then maybe at the end we can look at some transfer rumours, the latest transfer rumours. No? Okay. Let, let's, let's not do that. That's okay. Not a problem. Um, I think I'll just have to prepare something else. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm only joking. Of course, um, I do not want to talk about football this morning. Although, if you do want to talk about football afterwards, then come and find me. I will happily waffle on about football for as long as you will let me. Uh, This morning, I I want to talk to you from Exodus. Um, I uh, have been kind of, I've I've had my head in Exodus for about four months now um, as I'm preparing a lecture series at Cape and Ray. Uh, for the students, and so it made sense that I speak from there, but also I just want to speak from what I feel God has uh, put on on my heart this morning uh, to share with you. It's an incredible book, and uh, so many big things happen in the book. Um, It's hard to kind of pinpoint one thing, but I want to share what I feel that God has shown me about the book. But before I start, I do want to share a story from my childhood which in my head is not that long ago, but in reality is probably further away than I care to admit. Um, And as mentioned a moment ago, I do love football, so I want to share with you just just a a short football story from when I was younger. So when I was a kid in primary school, um, when I was about 10 or 11, uh, my primary school was selected to take part in a penalty shootout at Turf Moor. Now, for those that have absolutely no care about football at all, Turf Moor is the home football stadium of Burnley Football Club, which is where I'm from. It's, some would say, where the land of milk and honey is, but that's another story altogether. Now, for a 10-year-old kid, this was massive. This was huge. I get to step onto the same pitch that the pros play on in front of 20,000 people and take a penalty kick. Now, this was big. This was huge. Now, in reality, probably 60 or 70% of the, the stadium probably wouldn't be watching because they'll have all gone inside for a pie and a bovril. If you don't know what a bovril is, you can come and ask me afterwards. But that didn't register to me at the time. I got to step onto the pitch at Turf Moor where the grass is like carpet. It's a perfect surface to play football. Now, I had about a week's notice after it was decided that I would be one of the players who would be taking a penalty kick. Was it ever really in doubt? I had about a week's notice to practice, and I did. All week, I practiced my penalties. Top corners, bottom corners, straight down the middle, trick penalties. You ask me, I could deliver. This was my moment, and I wasn't going to waste it. I had practiced, practiced, practiced. I was even practicing my post-shootout interview. 
not that there was actually going to be one, but I better be prepared just in case. Because obviously when they see me on the pitch, they'll realize they've discovered the next big thing. They'll give me a pro contract there and then life is sorted. 11 years old, not a problem. I've got it all figured out. The big day came. We went off to watch the match. The halftime whistle blew. This was it. This was my time to shine. They brought on the plastic nets and set them all up. Bertie B, who's the team mascot, was running up and down the touchline, high-fiving everyone. The atmosphere was electric. And as far as I knew, they were all there to see me take my penalty. That obviously wasn't the case. I think we can all start to see where this is heading, can't we? My moment had arrived. Penalty number four. I had to score. Someone on my team had already missed. So it was all on my shoulders. It was up to me. No pressure. I stepped up, struck the ball with all my might. And to my horror, it crashed off the crossbar and bounced away. That was it. That was my moment. As quickly as it had come, quicker had it gone. I had blown it. Missed my one opportunity. Life was over. The team trudged off back to our seats. To nobody's surprise, there was no post-match penalty shootout interview. There was no pro contract offered to me. There was just a sense of pure disappointment. How could I have failed? How was it possible? It wasn't possible. How could my confidence in my own abilities have been so misplaced? It wasn't possible. Why, you may ask, am I sharing this story with you? Well, it's been bothering me a while and I just wanted to get it off my chest and just get it out there. Uh, Psalm 118 verse 8 says, It's better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. I want to speak to you this morning about where do you place your confidence? Where do you put your confidence? Now that was obviously a very simple illustration of how we can place our confidence in the wrong thing. And if I had a title for this morning's uh, sermon, it would be Moses and the Moaners. My, uh, my pastor Uh, I'll share with you a little bit later on, but my pastor, a really strong uh, Liverpoolian accent, um, and I'd grown up listening to it all of the time. He would call them Moses and the Moaners. They'd make a great band. No, maybe they wouldn't. They'd make a terrible band. And he would always joke about Moses and the Moaners. But I want to use the Israelites, and I want to use the beginning of Exodus in particular, as an example of how quickly we can get this wrong, of how quickly our confidence in God can fail and can fall short, and how quickly our confidence can leak out around us. And I want to show us how we can build our confidence in the one person that we can rely on. Spoiler alert, it's God. Now, the book of Exodus, as I said, it's an incredible story, and there are so many huge moments. But all of the book centers around God's deliverance of his people from slavery to the Egyptians, and then from themselves. 
Exodus contains account after account of God's faithfulness to his people as he filled them with confidence only to watch it slip away with fear and anxiety. And time and time again, God refills their confidence. God refills their bucket. And time and time again, it very quickly leaks out into the desert around them. If you want to turn with me to Exodus, if we go to Exodus 1, and it is verse, we're reading from verse 6. And I want to just start by how the the Israelites found themselves in this particular situation. Now Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. But the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. We can read as, as the Israelites started to grow, as their numbers started to grow, we can read how they were enslaved by the Egyptians who worked them ruthlessly with bitter and harsh labor, as the scripture calls it. And they were under this oppression for 400 years. But God had not forgotten his people. If we read a couple of chapters later in Exodus 3, 7 and 8, it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I think that was a different land to Burnley, but that's okay. Notice that God saw their misery. He heard their crying and was concerned about their suffering. I wonder, have you ever thought this about yourself, about how God thinks about you? God sees your misery. He he hears you crying. And he is concerned for you. He is concerned about your suffering. He, he promised not only to free them from slavery, but to deliver them to a promised land. And don't miss this promise here. God promises to get them to a land that was beautiful and fertile, to a land that was flowing with the goodness of God. I don't know about you, but I would love to be in that land. I would love to be flowing with the goodness of God. I would love my heart and my mind to be a beautiful and fertile place. And that will only happen if I allow God to make it so. 
The Israelites should have had nothing to fear. This was a promise from God Almighty, from the creator of the heavens and the earth, from the one who created the entire cosmos. This was his promise. This is what he said he was going to do. Over the coming months, this is exactly what God began to do. After a very dramatic ordeal, the Egyptians relented and allowed the Israelites to leave. They were excited about their future. They were looking ahead to the next thing. I wonder what God is going to do with us. I wonder where he's going to take us. I wonder where we're going to settle next. I wonder what God has in store for us. This is an exciting time to be a person of God. To be in God's place. This is exciting. That is until they come up against their first confidence battle. Their first test to their confidence in God. The Red Sea. We read in Exodus 14, 10 and 11. It says, when Pharaoh came near, the people of Israel looked and saw that the Egyptians were coming after them. And they were filled with fear and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the desert? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? A question you you may be tempted to ask at this point is, is what happened to their confidence in God? How did it? evaporate so quickly how did they forget so quickly where they had just been how did it leak so quickly to be be replaced by fear and anxiety they had just witnessed over the last couple of months God provide miracle after miracle plague after plague to free them from slavery They had just witnessed all of the livestock in the land, apart from theirs, die. They had just witnessed every person in the land that they had just come from, except them, be struck down by boils and sores. They had just witnessed flies cover the entire land, except where they were living. They had just witnessed every firstborn in the land die except theirs they had just fulfilled what was said about them by plundering the Egyptians gold and leaving the land and yet mere days later it's gone their confidence in God in God had gone How quickly they forgot. God continued to be faithful, however. He continued to show his power and his might. And as the story goes, and I'm sure lots of us know in the room, he parted the Red Sea. The Israelites crossed through unharmed, whilst the Egyptian army were destroyed. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I saw the Red Sea being parted in front of my eyes and me walking through the desert at the bottom of the Red Sea, I think my faith bucket would be pretty full for quite some time. Or maybe that's just another example of my misplaced confidence in myself. But only three days later, 72 hours down the road, and their confidence once again in God was gone. Once again, it had run dry. Quite literally, this time, the Israelites had run out of water and they were moaning to Moses. Their confidence in the Lord was once again shot. Did they rejoice in this new opportunity to worship God? Were they waiting on the Lord in anticipation to see what he would do? Were they praying and giving themselves over to God to wait to see how he would act in this situation? No. They were creating their next big hit. The Moses, Moses and the Moaners once again had another hit song. But once again, God provided yet another incredible miracle. Moses threw a stick into this dirty water and it turned clean. It was now sweet drinking water for them. And again, their confidence is full. So let's continue the journey. A month and a half later, Moses and the Moners once again brought out another hit song. But sadly, it was the exact same sound as their previous hits. This time, they were hungry. And this time, it seemed to bring their confidence in God to an all-time low. They, They grumbled and they moaned that they would rather be back in the land of Egypt under the oppression of their enslavers than be where they were there and then. They would rather be being worked ruthlessly and tirelessly by the Egyptian enslavers with harsh and bitter labor. I wonder if you have been here yourself. I wonder if you know Jesus in the room today and you've been down this road. God has blessed us with finances for a new building but my confidence is low when I ask him to do something else. When I'm faced with another financial burden, or when I'm faced with a difficult situation at work, or when I'm faced with a health crisis, I forgot about the times that God has saved us. I forgot about the times that God has provided for us. I wonder this morning as we've walked our own path and wandered through the seasons of life, I wonder how many of us have seen our confidence in God leak out just as quickly as the Israelites did. Or if you're sat here this morning and you don't have a relationship with God and you're thinking, I've never had confidence in him. Why should I? Who is he to me? 
I wonder if we have witnessed in our own lives God at work. Where we've seen prayers answered. Where we've seen blessings unfold. Where we can look back on our lives, because I'm pretty sure we can. And we've seen God's hand at work. God providing a way out. God providing a way through. God walking every step of the way with us. And then we move on so quickly. Yeah, yeah, thanks for that, God. But I've got this financial problem over here that I need to deal with. I've got this relational problem over, over here that needs my attention. And we quickly forget about our confidence in God. We move on so quickly that we get whiplash trying to look back. And this is a rough place to be. And I want to speak about how we can grow our confidence in God. If maybe you're sat there thinking, my confidence is at an all-time low. I'm staring at this mountain in front of me with no idea how I'm ever going to get over it. I want to try and give us just a couple of practical tips of how we can build our confidence in God. Of how we can apply this to our own lives. And so the first practical tip that I want to look at is identify your confidence killers. And hopefully if you are in a connect group, you'll get an opportunity to speak about this week uh, in a little bit greater detail. And if you're not part of a connect group... Uh, I would recommend trying to get into one. Get involved in a connect group. But our first practical tip this morning is identify your confidence killers. There are so many places I choose to place my own, my, to put my confidence in, other than God, that I'm not even always aware of. I do it automatically, I do it naturally. And we need to slow down and think and identify where else we're going for our confidence. Is it in our control of a situation? Is it in our financial stability? In our achievements that we've had in the past? In our education? In our abilities to be able to get things done? Are we putting our confidence in, in other people? There are far more things that I could mention, but you get the picture. It's essential to identify where we turn so we can understand the effects on our lives and other people's lives when we turn away from God. When trying to get confidence in temporary and superficial things, we end up unstable and unsettled. Identify your confidence killers. The second one this morning is pray with unashamed honesty. It's hard for me to admit my sin and my weakness without feeling ashamed. And I think we could probably all agree with that in the room this morning. Yet when I hide my sin and I hide my weakness inside, I remain insecure and unchanged. In the Psalms, we see David is honest with God. He pours out his heart to God. 
He pours out his feelings and his emotions, whether good or bad. And to develop confidence in God, we have to rely on him. And that means putting everything we think and we feel out into the open. And I often find that this is the most significant roadblock to us growing closer to God and trusting him more. I'll give you this, but I'm going to keep this to myself. I'll deal with this on my own. Or I'll give you part of this thing, but I'll keep the rest of it to myself. Because I don't want to embarrass myself by giving it you all. By really revealing where I'm at. Really revealing the contents of my heart. I don't like expressing my weaknesses and my need for God, even when it's so evident that I need him. When I see the truth of my flaws, my fears, my insecurities and my sin, I feel weak inside. And rather than admitting that, rather than admitting I need help, I turn back to those things I mentioned a moment ago. I turn back to the things that I think I can put my confidence in. I spent most of my childhood and my young adult life running from those emotions and from those fears. And what I've come to realize, though, if I don't face these things, if I don't address them, if I don't lay them before God and ask him to work in them, they affect my life all the same. No matter how deep down I try and hide them. The weaknesses that I have on the inside, they end up driving my life and my actions, whether I like it or not. There is nothing that we can say that he doesn't already know about us. There is no confession that we can make that he's not already aware of. There is no words that we can utter that he doesn't want to hear. In fact, I'm pretty sure that God would rather us have, have us scream, shout and cry at him than never hear from us at all. And when we are completely unashamed, honest and open with him, he gives the clarity, courage and confidence we need to live freely. We can find confidence in his strength through our weaknesses. So identify your confidence killers. Pray with unashamed honesty. And the final practical tip is obey God to build confidence. God's word is powerful and even just reading it builds faith. But real confidence comes when we apply his word. There is only a confidence that can come when we obey what he's asked us to do. James 1 verse 22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, but do what it says. Put it into action. Coming back to my buzzword, if I have a football coach and I listen to what he says, but actually I'm really struggling with what he's telling me to do. But after a month or two, I'm starting to see progress. I start to see that I can, I can run further. 
I can run faster. I can maybe see things that I wasn't seeing before. The team are starting to, to pick up results. The team is starting to win football matches. My confidence in the coach is going to increase. I'm going to listen to what he's telling me to do because I'm seeing the fruit of it in the matches. I'm seeing the fruit of it lived out in my life. And it's the same when we obey God. But thankfully, on a much, much deeper level. When I obey what he's asking me to do, I begin to see the fruit of that in my life. When we read and obey what God has asked us to do, we will start to, dis- we will start to see in our lives and develop in our lives a trust and a confidence in God. Because even though sometimes what God asks me to do is really difficult and is really challenging and leaves me open and vulnerable, the fruit of what I see in my life is far, far greater than that small moment of embarrassment or struggle. I begin to trust that when God asks me to move, I know that his will is the best for me. Because I've seen the evidence of it. And the joy of of what we have today over what Moses and the Moners had is that we have the living word that we can look back time and time again and see the faithfulness of God lived out in believers who have gone before us. We can see the times when people have listened to what God has asked them to do and put it into practice. And we see the fruit of that in his kingdom. And we can see the times when God has asked, to, asked believers to do things and they've disobeyed. They've not done what he's asked. And we can see where they've failed and where they've fallen short. And they've hurt themselves and everybody around them. So identify your confidence killers. Pray with unashamed honesty and obey God to build confidence. I think three just practical steps that we can put in place that are On the face, pretty simple things that we can do. But I recognize that they come with challenges. If we don't build our confidence in God, we will see how the sting of fear and anxiety will spill into our lives. I am pretty sure in a room of this size, there will be people sat here who are crippled daily by anxiety, who are crippled daily with fear and depression. And I'm not saying that just following this one, two, three step and all of a sudden all of that goes away. But I know that in my own life, when I've struggled with those things, when I've put my trust in him, when I've put my confidence in him rather than myself, I have seen a difference in what that makes. And I know these things can cripple us and leave us feel feeling broken to sometimes what we feel like is beyond repair. But no matter how far down a road you think you've traveled, no matter how far down a hole you think you've journeyed, it is never too far for the grace of God. As he stands upon that hill waiting for you to return, with a loving embrace 
as he sees you return to him. But when we rely upon things that are unreliable, we will struggle. We will fall short. The fear and the anxiety will take a hold. When we put our confidence in the people in our lives, in family, in friends, husband and wives, bosses, work colleagues, athletes, celebrities, church leaders, they will all let us down. Or when we put confidence in the things in our lives, in our health or wealth, in jobs, in churches, in our possessions, or in the clubs that we're a part of, or with the systems that we adhere to, they will all let us down. They will all fail us in some way or another. They cannot save you. And more importantly, you cannot save yourself. Warren Wearsbear, who is um, a pretty big theologian, said that life is a constant test of one's faith. What you put your confidence in will determine whether you are able to weather the storms that come your way. God asks one simple question of us in here this morning. Will we trust him? He says, will you trust me? Will you put your confidence in me? Will you trust me to deliver you from this perilous situation? Will you trust me to deliver you from financial ruin? Will you trust me to deliver you from the sadness of the death of a loved one? Will you trust me to deliver you from fear of tragedy? From anxiety about the future, from that dead-end job that you're stuck in, from crippling illness that you can't get rid of. And if I choose not to deliver you in the way that you desire for reasons of my own, will you trust me to provide you with the strength to endure, believing that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." The lesson of Exodus is to look at our fears within the context of a God who loves us. For God says, I am the mighty God. I am the God of the impossible. I am the God who hears your cries from heaven, who cares about your suffering, who parts the seas, who quenches thirst who heals the sick, who feeds the hungry, and who gives strength to the weak. I am the Lord who provides, the one who keeps his promises, and the one who will deliver you safely to the promised land. If you call him your Lord and Savior in here this morning, there is only one place you can put your confidence. That's in him. And if you don't know him in here this morning, if you are here with a friend or have been dragged along by a family member, what are you putting your confidence in? Because if it's not in God, 
if it's not in his love and his grace and his forgiveness, I can guarantee you it will fail. I have walked through seasons of life that have been difficult and hard. Where God has not even been a thought in my mind. And all I did was fail, fall and fumble. And leave behind me a mess. And then I was introduced to Jesus. A man who suffered all for me. A man who went to the cross for my forgiveness. The word says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And that was me in abundance. I had completely missed the mark. I had completely fallen short. And the only thing that I was obsessed with was myself. Jesus came to offer us a different way. To offer us forgiveness. And to hand us grace in abundance. If you don't know him in here this morning, I I urge you to come and have a conversation. To put your trust in him. To pick up his word. To read about who he is. And I can guarantee you, if you put your confidence in him, he will never, ever fail you. He will never let you down. And he will bring you into a land that is beautiful, that is fertile, and that is flowing with his blessings. Let me pray for us in here this morning, and then I will ask the worship team uh, to lead us in worship. Heavenly Father, we thank you in here this morning. We thank you that you can be our ultimate confidence. But Father, when we, when we look at the world, when we look at ourselves, when we look at the people around us, they will all fail and they will all fall short. But Father, we can put our confidence in you. We can trust in your word. We can trust in your goodness. We can trust that you will act. That you hear our cries. That you see our suffering. And that you feel our pain. And Father, as we look to you, I pray that you would embrace us. And in that embrace, we recognize and understand how awesome you are. Father, I pray for whoever is struggling in here this morning. For the thoughts that we have swirling around in our mind. For the things that we're carrying on our hearts. Father, I pray that we can put them all at your feet. That we can lay them all down and as we stare across the sea, we can trust that you will part it and that you will make a way. That may not always look like what we think it will look like, but we can trust that that is what you will do. Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, we ask that you work in our hearts. Father, that you leave us different this morning when we leave than when we came in. 
Not because of what I have said, but because of your word and because of your faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.